Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, August 26th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's financial show, we're going to discuss the future of Facebook Libra. We'll review a couple of earning reports here for a couple of the companies shaping the Latin American payment space. Uh, we'll talk about the implications of negative interest rates, and as always, we'll have a couple of stocks for you to watch. Uh, joining me in the studio this week, as always, certified financial planner Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Uh, pretty good. I'm fighting a little bit of a cold down here, which is always fun during the summer in South Carolina. But <laughs> yeah. The summer cold. Other than that, doing well. I wouldn't wouldn't miss this for the world. Nope, nope. I think we've got a good <laughs> thing going here. Uh, so, so yeah, we'll we'll bring in. Bring in whether you're sick or not. You know, I mean, you're gonna have to tell me that you're gonna you're gonna have to opt out, as they would say, Matt. You'll have to opt out. Um, I'm good to go. As long as I'm here, I'm I'm here. Perfect. (laughs) Okay, good deal. Well, we wanted to open up the show this week talking a little bit about uh, Facebook's Libra project, and you know, this is something that for for folks out there who uh, maybe don't know much about Facebook Libra or what it is, uh, this is essentially Facebook's effort at Developing its own cryptocurrency, for lack of a better uh, description. I mean, it is it is a uh, it's not something where Facebook would be directly running uh, this operation. It's a subsidiary of Facebook, something Facebook would be associated with, affiliated with uh, through uh, partners in the industry as well. Uh, but ultimately, what we're looking at here is. Uh, the goal to launch something here by 2020, 2021, and I mean, as as we figured, I mean, it is it is certainly coming under uh, plenty of scrutiny, a lot of scrutiny on the regulatory side, because I mean, anytime you think about launching a new currency, well, that just makes sense. Uh, there are global implications here, and with the size of Facebook's network, uh, clearly that that's a lot of people that could take advantage. Um, and and you know we're talking about a potential new currency here. There's probably going to be some bad actors in the process there, Matt. Um, but I think you know we we've been looking at this project Libra and trying to understand exactly what they want to accomplish and what some of the challenges uh, may be. And now, Matt, it seems like there are even some of the partners that are starting to express a little skepticism as well. Well, it's not just that there's regulatory scrutiny. I don't think anything anyone really was surprised at that. It's kind of how much regulatory scrutiny there is that I think is scaring everybody. Um, they're facing it from literally like everybody, like both parties in the U.S. You're getting the uh, the Senate Banking Committee, the House Financial Service Committee, the Treasury Department, the Federal Reserve. I think the European Union even voiced their objections to it. <laughs> um, so, like literally, nobody in power has said this is a good idea. So that's, I think, where uh, some of Facebook's partners are getting nervous, including Facebook. There's 28 companies partners in the partnered in this, and it was recently reported that I think two of them are getting ready to back out. And those two were not named, right? I mean, there was just two, but we didn't we didn't actually get the names of the companies that were thinking about backing out, right? It was just we just got right. We don't we don't know if it's one of the giants like Visa or Mastercard or any of the other ones. We don't know that yet. But some of the and a, a third unnamed backer is really. Not in support of it at this point anymore. Just kind of really worried about what the regulatory environment is. So, anytime that you're going into business and your partners start to really get cold feet, and pretty much no one's telling you that your business plan is a good idea. I mean, in my mind, that usually sets off bells. If I'm trying to do something, and literally everybody in the world is trying to talk me out of it. So, I I don't know. I. I 
I think they're the, and the other thing I kind of feel is that Libra doesn't do anything that doesn't exist already. Um, yeah. It's a stable coin, which means its value is going to be pegged to the U.S. dollar, not like Bitcoin that can jump up and down. So it's a stable coin. Those exist. There's a big one called Tether that already exists in the cryptocurrency world. Yeah. So this isn't a brand new technology. It's not like this is a new concept that does anything too special. So I don't know if it's worth the regulatory hurdles. Well, and so you bring up something that's really kind of what I wanted to get into here uh, is the goal of this project. Because if you read the goal of the project, according to Facebook, it's to provide a fast, low-cost way for people around the world to transfer money, especially those who don't have access to traditional banking services. Now, we're talking about the world, obviously a very big place. Um, To me, though, like when I read that – now. I mean, I, there are a lot of low-cost ways to transfer money all over the world now. I mean, there are a slew of options out there for people to get money from point A to point B. And, and I do understand perhaps there are some countries where expenses are high, and that is based on geopolitical risk in a financial system that's not nearly as established or reliable as something like ours or perhaps other first-world countries. But when I'm looking at what Facebook's trying to do here, it seems like they're ultimately trying to help serve the unbanked and the underbanked. So for me, the simpler solution is to develop products and services that help people uh, deal with that, whether they're unbanked or underbanked. Helping to bring people into the banking system is the more logical step. Introducing a currency is not. And I mean, you've just gone over all of the different types of, of uh, concerns here from from uh, countries all over the world here. I mean, that's very understandable because you're talking about a new currency with a network that is obviously very, very big uh, in Facebook and its affiliated properties. To me, establishing a new currency for this problem that they're trying to address doesn't seem like the most rational uh, first step. Right. And I, I get the the drive to want to use a cryptocurrency as opposed to a traditional banking product. Not only is it low cost, but it's usually instantaneous. Um, there's ways to instantly transfer money within the US. Um, when I did a wire to transfer to buy my house, I mean, it was at my closing attorney within five minutes. Sure. But that's not the case if you're transferring it from here to, say, some third world country. Well, that's not necessarily true, though. I mean, there are companies out there like Zoom, for example, that PayPal now owns that's focused specifically on that market, U.S. outbound remittances to countries all over the world. And I mean, whether it's a developing economy or a developed economy, Zoom exists solely really for that purpose um, and, and has done you know quite a good job. Now, granted, we don't know as much about Zoom now because PayPal acquired it, uh, but when it was a public company and we had access to those metrics, uh, I mean, it was, it was clearly doing a lot of good things there. But I mean, your point, I do understand your point, uh, but it kind of, I mean, I, I, again, I just go back to there are a lot of different ways to get money from point A to point B these days. I don't know that what Facebook's coming up with is necessarily um, the most reasonable first step, I guess. Right. If, if it was like the first stable coin, I could even understand like that the regulatory scrutiny might be worthwhile. Like I said, there's already a couple big ones out there. Tether, I think, is four billion dollars in size. So this is there. The technology already exists. It's already there. There's a bunch of big cryptocurrencies that are that have already specialized in cross-border payments, like uh, Ripple, for example. Right, is one of the big ones. So my personal take is that Facebook is going to get into the cryptocurrency business or the cryptocurrency game, just not through its own. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think that was that was going to be my follow up with you is really where do you see this ultimately going? And I mean, I, I tend to fall in line with that thinking. I mean, my my personal opinion is we've seen the beginning of the end for Libra as we know it. I mean, I think all it's going to take is just a few um, companies to jump in there and say, you know what, we're having second thoughts about this. Um, others will fall in line very quickly, whether rightly or wrongly. I think that all you need is a little bit of concern, really, uh, with your partners, because we've already seen plenty of concern via regulators and politicians and whatnot around the world. So then, I mean, you know, is this really going to be something that Facebook is going to? Is is this worth going through all the trouble? Right? I mean, is the juice worth the squeeze, as they like to say? I, I mean, I just I can't believe that they would come to the conclusion that it is, at least at this point. You remember it wasn't all that long ago when we were talking about uh, you know Facebook was this massive new network and it was a way to keep in touch with everyone and wow it was making the world more connected and everybody was just thinking it was the greatest thing ever and now we're to the point where the question and I think it's a legitimate question is is Facebook a net positive or negative for the world at this point and we have a lot of different opinions out there I mean you can go read all sorts of great thinkers that'll give you their take on that um, but but it's just interesting to see how we've come from a point where it was generally perceived as a positive to now a lot of people are on the fence. There's certainly plenty of people out there who find it to be a negative. Um, I kind of wonder if you wouldn't see the same evolution here with Facebook trying to get in the payments industry in some way, shape, or form. I mean, sure, on paper, it sounds really great that you want to make financial services more accessible to the masses at lower costs, but is that something you're really going to be able to pull off? Is this something that they do well? I mean, I, I think you know there are questions at least out there to make you uh, take a little bit more of a skeptic's view, like I do, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see Facebook ultimately partnering with one of the big crypto companies like Ripple or you know one of those, or even one of the big payment processors that already has a crypto operation, uh, Square, for example, uh, Mastercard. We met, we were talking about last week. They were they're starting their own crypto division. So I can see Facebook like, you know, kind of partnering with one of them or even like a banking as a service company to do a non-cryptocurrency, you know, payments method. But I don't see them. I I I kind of agree that I think Libra is kind of, you know, dead in the water. Interesting. Well, that's you know, so just for listeners out there, when Matt and I were talking about this this morning, we came to the conclusion that we were going to offer our opinion on what was going to happen with Libra, but we kept it secret. We didn't share our opinion with each other. So <laughs> I just was interesting to see you and I essentially falling on the same side there. It sounds like Matt. Um, yeah, well, great minds think alike. Well, and there I, you. Go. <laughs> it sounds like all the regulators agree with us too. <laughs> well, I'll leave it at that. We'll just go on to the next story here. We've got a couple of earnings stories over the past couple of weeks. Companies that our listeners I know. Um, Enjoy hearing about and follow. Uh, and Matt, you and I dug into a couple of these companies recently um, in Stoneco and PagSeguro, a couple of payments companies over in the Latin American space. Uh, talk to us real quick about the most recent quarter from Stoneco. Uh, seemed like, generally speaking, it was a pretty positive quarter. Yeah, um, Stoneco missed missed the revenue estimates, but they grew revenue by sixty nine percent year over year. So with that kind of growth, who cares what the estimates are? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of my opinion on that. It's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, net income almost, almost tripled year over year. Um, the, the actual business numbers were even more impressive. Um, Three hundred sixty thousand active clients last year. It was just over two hundred thousand. Wow. Um, and even more impressive, Stoneco now has a seven percent market share in their core payment processing business. But even given that their market share is getting kind of large. 
their growth is still accelerating. They added over 50,000 new clients in the second quarter of this year, as opposed to less than 40,000 in the second quarter of last year. So not only is the growth continuing, but it's even getting faster. And kind of the encouraging stat that I read, um, they're really focusing on building out their the rest of their ecosystem. You've heard us talk about Square, so this probably sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, their uh, funding, the providing credit to small businesses is a big focus area, uh, kind of similar to Square Capital. Yep. Um, right now, I mentioned they have a 7% market share in payment processing. processing. They estimate they only have roughly a 1% market share in small business credit. Wow. So that gives a lot of potential to ramp up that business to keep the growth going. And they're really focused on being a total ecosystem for merchants. They're even talking about figuring out ways to provide logistical support, like like last mile delivery and things like that. So I think Stoneco, I always refer to it as the square of Brazil, but I think there's a lot more to it than people think right now. Right, It's more of a payment processing company. It's still in kind of the earlier stages of building out its ecosystem, but the numbers definitely look promising. Yeah, I, I like that um, comparison to Square. I think that's something I noted on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. They have a very Square-like focus on the customer um, and developing that holistic solution. And, and the capital part of the business there, I thought, was really clever as well. So, um, I mean, yeah, I, I I do agree. I think Stone is Stone Co's a an exciting business. I mean, for full disclosure for listeners, and I mean, I disclosed this last week on Twitter, but I did actually um, open a position in Stone Co. Uh, with the intention of of holding it for a long period of time, because I think there's a lot of opportunity there, um, and so Stone Co is now one of my personal holdings, and and my goal is to make this next company a personal holding as well, uh, Matt. As long as I can shut up for uh, for long enough about it, but Pagseguro, uh, another company we talked about here in that payment space, uh, performing very well, uh, second quarter metrics. We're all really heading in the right direction. Total payment volume was up 59% from a year ago uh, to 26.8 billion reals. And they have 4.7 million active merchants now, up 1.2 million from a year ago. Uh, Revenue was up 38.7%. Net income up 41.8%. They're seeing expenses as a percentage of sales actually shrinking, which is nice. Um, And and I think that, interestingly enough, something they introduced here recently, uh, they're focusing on uh, called PagBank, which is essentially taking their market opportunity beyond just the payment space and and looking more towards the banking space and the opportunities that exist there. It expands their market opportunity significantly. And and while that's something that's really just getting underway, I think it is something that is going to give them a lot of of optionality in the coming years and new ways to utilize the data with the uh, with the merchants and the customers that they have today. So I just again, I mean, I think that when you look at these two businesses uh, together, um, and you know, as we as we went over them a few weeks back, thanks to that uh, listener email uh, prompting us to do so. I mean, these are just two really good businesses that are uh, that, that I think just continue to do really good things in in that space. Um, so yeah, positive course from both companies, and I think that if you're an investor in either or both. Uh, you should probably feel pretty good about that right now. Um, so we'll keep following those companies and uh, and keep everybody updated with what's going on there. Now let's turn over to another story that you and I were kicking around here recently, Matt, and that is in the face of these falling interest rates, how um, something we're seeing in certain areas around the world right now it hasn't really made its way here, but this this 
concept of negative interest rates is really kind of fascinating because it, it essentially defies all logic in 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 the tenets that the that the banking and lending system were built on. Um, explain to our listeners what negative interest rates are and and what's going on right now with this. Well, negative interest rates is kind of a foreign concept, as you mentioned. It hasn't made it to our shores yet. But it basically means that you're getting paid to borrow money. Um, for example, if you have a mortgage with a negative interest rate, that means you're actually going to end up paying less than the price of the house to borrow money. Um, so, the idea behind negative interest rates is that they're designed to encourage or to discourage banks from keeping too many reserves with central banks. That's kind of the general idea, like to encourage them to lend, to encourage people to borrow money, because if you could borrow money at for less than it's worth, why wouldn't you do it? I've seen a lot of people doing that too, right? Right. Um, I think in Denmark is actually the first place where we see negative mortgage rates, where people are essentially being paid to buy a house. It's fascinating. Yeah, um, and the the kind of the enormity of the negative interest rate market is really shocking right now. Uh, it's about forty five percent of non U.S. bonds around the world are have negative interest rates right now. Wow. Which is really a like you said, it's a foreign concept to U.S. investors, and a lot of people are shocked to hear that. Uh, it's about $15 trillion worth of bonds altogether. Um, even some U.S. companies, like when Apple issues European-denominated bonds, they they have negative interest rates. So, um, I mean, Apple's borrowing money and getting paid to do it. So, on the surface, it might sound like a good thing. Uh, it's definitely a good thing for consumers that want to buy – that want to borrow money and buy things. Yeah. Um, I mean, if if – Mortgage rates go negative here. I'll probably buy a couple investment properties, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, it'd be great for real estate stocks because they uh, are high yield companies that are generally kind of move the opposite direction of interest rates. Yeah. Uh, but it's bad for the economy in general. It's bad for, I mean, this is the financial show. It'd be terrible for bank profits if that happened. It would. Uh, if Could you imagine if like Bank of America had to pay everybody to? To take its money. I mean, it's astounding to think about, really. But I mean, that's the concept, <laughs> which is why it's yeah, so yeah, crazy. Yeah, it would destroy their profit margin. Um, and I mean, pension plans, you know, are all fixed income investments. They would really lose out. Mm. Um, you think we have underfunded pension problems right now? Wait till interest rates go negative. Um, and any investor who relies on kind of recycling their fixed income investments over every few years. Um, like my father, for example, has a bond, uses a bond laddering strategy. So every few years, he has to, you know, a few of his bonds mature and then he buys new ones. So if he has to buy negative rate bonds, would he still do that? Um, so probably not. No. Um, so negative rates, and it's just a really bad economic sign when you have to make your interest rates turn negative. Like even during the financial crisis, we didn't have to do that, right? Well, so I mean, that kind of leads me to my next question. Then, really, do you feel like this is something that we will actually see take place here in in our domestic economy, or is this? I mean, I understand anything's possible, but it seems like we also have a lot of tools at our disposal to try to prevent something like this from happening. Well, the chances are low, but you got to realize that the trade war could get a lot worse than it is. Yeah, uh, we have a lot of political pressure, not just from the president to lower interest rates from where they are right now. Which is still um, insane I mean, to me. If, I just if, can't if, get over that. <laughs> right. So if, the, if the president had his had – his, uh, got his way, uh, interest rates would be zero right now. Um, and if, if 
the Fed lowers interest rates, say, three or four times the rest of this year, and we end up with a recession, it's entirely possible that they'll have to either do some major quantitative easing or you know, bring rates negative. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd call it a low possibility, but it's certainly – it's out there. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll keep our eyes on that. I mean, it doesn't sound like um, it would really be a good thing any which way you cut it. I mean, I guess unless you're a consumer and you're looking to borrow a ton of money, and then you know maybe it works out all right for you. But um, to be continued, I suppose. Uh, all right, before we get into our final segment of the day, one to watch, I did want to just take a minute here to read a tweet that came across our feed yesterday. And it's from at Coleman Etelkuzi, I believe, but Coleman, I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Um, but Coleman says, August marks my first full year of listening to the Motley Fool's podcasts. Thank you for enlightening me, reinforcing your taut positive outlooks, and enriching my everyday life with all the wonderful work you all do. Hashtag podcast for the win. Hashtag mission accomplished. Nicole, let me just say thank you so much for the kind words. They're happy anniversary. We're thrilled that you listen. Uh, you know, we aim to do exactly what you just said right there is keep it fun, keep it informative, and, and hopefully uh, help you build out uh, a lifetime full of financial independence. So it sounds like you're on your way. Really appreciate those thoughtful words. Uh, and for listeners out there, hey, listen, we love getting your tweets. So don't ever be scared to tweet us at MF Industry Focus, or you can even email us if you're not on Twitter at industryfocus at fool.com. Keep those questions coming in. We always love bringing new stuff to the shows here. Okay, Matt, let's wrap it up here. We got our one to watch uh, this week. What stock do you have on your radar? Uh, one that I've said a few times in the past, uh, Goldman Sachs just rolled out its Apple card. Um, it's getting a lot of attention, some good, some bad, but you yeah. know what they say, there's no such thing as bad press. <laughs> um, and, and the bad press isn't necessarily about the card itself. I don't know if you read the article that said Apple's advising people not to uh, – Put the card next to leather or denim. Oh, I read it, Matt. I read it once. <laughs> I read it twice. I even had to read it a third time. And then Chris and I had a little fun with it on Market Foolery last week. But we'll talk about that after the show. Yeah, when I first saw the headline, I said, is, "Am I reading the Onion? Like, what, <laughs> what is this from?" It came across that way. I, I will say it came across <laughs> that way. But all the early reviews sound like it's actually a pretty solid product, and that a lot of people are getting approved for it. Not necessarily sub subprime customers. <laughs> But people with lower credit scores that would normally get approved for a, a credit card. Uh, I trust Goldman's risk management. Uh, Marcus, their uh, consumer lending division, has been uh, approving people with you know, lower than traditional banks would approve credit score-wise um, and with a lot of success. So I trust their underwriting abilities. This sounds like a pretty big product. And what really encourages me is the CEO, David Solomon, just said that Apple Card is big, but it's also just the beginning, and that in the decades ahead, he expects Goldman to be a leader in consumer banking, which is kind of a, 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 bold, a bold statement. That's um, a little bit of a pivot for them, yeah. Right, and Goldman um, currently trades for 10% less than its book value, so it could be a good time to, to check it out. Okay, and what's the ticker for Goldman? It is GS. Thank All you for right. reminding me about that. All right. Well, I am going to go with a company. I don't think we've mentioned this one here before, but it's called Live Oak Bank Shares. Ticker is LOB. Uh, this is a North Carolina bank, small cap at just around $700 million market cap. Uh, 
about $3.7 billion in deposits, which was up about 5.5% from the previous quarter, and they carry about $4.3 billion in total assets. Uh, Chip Mahan is the CEO and co-founder, and he's been in banking since 1973 when he got into the uh, industry of Wachovia. You remember Wachovia, don't you, Matt? I do. They were my bank until they got acquired by Wells Fargo. <laughs> yeah, they were my bank for a time too. Um, but you know, we we may have the good fortune of actually uh, getting Chip here on the show, which we would love. Anytime we have a CEO uh, in the banking space, it's always a treat for us. So we're going to keep on working on that. But but certainly, Live Live Oak is a uh, company I'm going to dig into, learn more about it, and learn more about Chip Mahan and and uh, what their uh, ultimate goals there with the bank are, and how they may be dealing with this. Uh, you know, current interest rate environment and uh, the potential for negative interest rates as well. Uh, but Matt, uh, it's always good having you here. It's good talking to you this week. Thanks for joining. Always. It take more than a cold to keep me away from you guys. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, we will be away from you next week. Uh, Monday, remember, is a holiday, uh, so we will be off. But you know what? Hey, I'll, I'll tweet out a show. You know that uh, it will reach back into the library. We'll pull out a, a special interview for you all to uh, catch up on if you didn't if you didn't catch it before. Uh, but we will we will see you the following week for sure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.